Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome, everyone, to episode 84 of Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Alex Zahara is joining us for this episode. Alex and I go way back uh, during the uh, the production of Stargate, and he has played more roles than even the SG Command wiki lists. And we are going to be discussing pretty much all of them in this episode. So... Before we get started, if you like Stargate and you want to see more episodes like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal to me if you click that like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click that subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops and you'll get my notifications of any last-minute guest changes, which is key if you plan on watching live. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days on the GateWorld.net YouTube channels. As with most of our shows, we invite you to go to YouTube.com slash DialTheGate to submit questions uh, for our guest. And you can also submit questions for me and the show, which will be answered uh, at the uh, end of the episode. So first, uh, Alex and I will talk, and then I will go ahead and bring um the uh the questions that the moderators have gathered for me over into the uh into the discussion. So without further ado, Mr. Alex Zahara. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? I'm pretty good. Yourselves? I'm all yourself? right. All is well. So you have some recent news. I don't know yes. if you wouldn't mind uh sharing uh on our show as well. Well, I got engaged recently. So there you go. Congratulations. And it was a, thank you. It was a mutual thing. And there's, there she put a ring on it. So there you go. There's the ring on it. <laughs> close. There we go. Very Ooh. nice. What is that? It's a, it's, a tri- it's wood and tungsten. It's uh, some oh. sort of hard wood. I can't remember the name. It's a, a black wood and I think it's a rose wood. Wow. Uh, and tungsten. It was a design she had made. And then I had hers. I, well, I bought hers and then I had to, we both had to get it resized and, okay. and whatnot. And then, um, I said this to you earlier. I'll just share it with everybody here. But we were going to get engaged on the day that uh, we decided that we were officially boyfriend girlfriend. You know, and uh, anyway, it didn't work out because both rings were mine was too big, hers was too small. I can't remember now. Anyway, suffice to say, both had to get redone, and got them back. I think we got them back on the twelfth, and so it was a Friday, February twelfth. So we said, and we had a nice dinner for each other, and we each asked each other in our own special way, and we did. And we each said yes, luckily. It would have been awkward if one had said no. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, Especially after the other had said yes. Right. Then it's like, how do you go back from that? Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, um, (laughs) and then, but then we didn't, I I, I don't post my whole life on Facebook just because I'm like, eh, it's not my thing. 
but I, I don't mind it, but whatever. So she, we posted later, but everybody thought we got engaged on February 14th. And I just said, I'm, I am say to everybody out there, I'm not that cheesy. <laughs> I'm not one of those. Yeah. I, I didn't, I, I'm not going to be down on one knee in a sports arena either. You know, like <laughs> no, moving on, moving on. But yes, I'm very excited. Cheers. Well, congratulations again. It's you. uh, you know, so great to have you. We've got, so much ground to cover in terms of yeah. so many characters that you have have portrayed over the course of you know right. the, the seven seasons of of SG one six maybe six it was it was in season two I think was your first with yeah. Zells and then yeah. Warwick was in season seven and I want to get to all those but first I wanted to to take a step back um, how did you know that this is what you wanted to do with your life. <laughs> I, this is my my go-to answer because my mom said it best. When I was three years old, I was apparently putting on sock puppet plays behind the couch <laughs> for other kids in the neighborhood. So appropriate, I'm on a couch. There's some <laughs> yeah, right. There we go. No, but yeah, I, I, just from the get-go, I used to sneak up when I was a kid and watch old movies on CBC Nostalgia Theater, they called it. And I would go in black and white and watch old, like, you know, Humphrey Bogart movies and Jimmy Cagney films and Lauren Bacall and Catherine Hepburn. And and uh, I was four or five years old walking around the house going, listen, sweetheart, the lives of two people don't amount to a hill of beans, she, you know. And Why doing you getting w- on that plane? I know, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and I've got my Casablanca. I have a metal Casablanca poster, like, printed on metal right over there. Maybe I'll take you over and show you later. It's a great film. I'm going to do it now. I'm doing it now. All right. We're going. So it's one of my favorite films of all time. It's looking and anyway, too. here we go. Yeah, so here, here we go. See, right there. Look at that. Wow. That what cool? a beauty. Yeah. That scene when they're in um, the diner yes. and the national yes, anthems gives me yeah. chills every single oh, time oh, I watch oh, it. Oh, oh, oh. I'm getting chills right. right now. I'm not even joking. Yeah. It's so good. It's powerful stuff. Because it's people being passionate about the, the, what they believe in. And like, you know, they're saying like, oh, geez, let's see. Hmm. Fascism is bad in my country. Right. I think I'll have a little form of display of power by playing my national anthem in front of you, a bunch of Nazis. I mean, yes. Well, anyway, mm-hmm. Have you seen Watch on the Rhine? Oh, yeah. You want to talk about, I think that there's a lot of parallels there. I think everyone out there needs to watch that. I don't care. Yeah where you are in your mindset or anything you watch yep. you watch a society transform bit by bit by bit but anyway regardless so you yeah so great great film and sock puppets and sock puppets yeah <laughs> yeah i just did that stuff and then when i got older mom took me to plays did different things and it really hit me one time i've said this before to other people but i was watching uh, we went to watch fiddler on the, fiddler on the roof mm. and they did it in a production in the high school that i eventually graduated from but what happened was they went and um like, you know, the gym was empty and we're all sitting in the bleachers, you know, and then the lights go down and all of a sudden you hear the little music like, you know, the fiddler. And all of a sudden just, like, the lights just came up slowly and there's a shadow, like a silhouette of a guy, a fiddler sitting on a roof of a house that was not there moments before. And my five-year-old mind just went kaboom. Like, how did they get a house in the middle of the gymnasium? In within seconds, and I just, it's it's still up there, like you know, sleight of hand, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, so that's kind of it. And then I, mm-hmm. you know, it plays as a kid. Uh, we started doing early videos in the eighties with the, when the video cameras were the sizes of l- luggage, you know, <laughs> right? 
And um, then it just went from there and I ended up going to UBC. I uh, got, got, a, got a degree in theater from UBC. I didn't end up going, I made my route there and um, it wasn't an accident, that's for sure. Because you had to audition and, and anyway, I, I should maybe stop talking about that's sort of the route. I went to university and blah, blah, blah. Who are, in your estimation, the most important figures in your life? In my life? Yeah. Like professionally, personally? Uh, let's start with personally. Personally, I'll show you right here. Ah. That's my dad right there. He's passed away, but that's my dad. Hang on. It's terrible with the reflection, but you can kind of see him. Oh, I see him definitely. Wow. Dad right there. Kind and face. That is also dad when he was 10. <laughs> that is also dad when he lost a bet and had to go to work in drag. Oh, my God. <laughs> there you go. What a sport. Yeah. Well, he was he was one that you read that article. It was he he was a head mate or head of indoor maintenance at a college for 20 years. Wow. And uh, you read that article and it says like Alex Sahara always has a skip and a step and a joke and this and that. And, you know, that's where I get my personality from. I think pretty outgoing. He was super outgoing, friendly, nice guy. Not that I'm blowing my own horn or whatever, but that kind of describes me too. But uh, the <laughs> apple didn't fall far from the tree. Right. So. Yeah. Dad and actually here real quick. The fella next to him with this lady here you can see that that's my grandparents in 1942 that's their that's their wow. wedding photograph wow. that's my grandpa my grandpa hugh and my aunt or sorry my grandmother lucille uh they were married christmas eve december 1942 she took wow. a train all the way across canada from alberta to ontario to get married before he shipped off to sea uh, overseas in 42 wow. or it would have been 43 then by the time he shipped off but um, so they got married and they got married by Reverend Patrick McGillicutty on Clapperton street, or it was Reverend Clapperton on McGillicutty street. And they, they would play with this play fight with that their whole lives about what was real or not. <laughs> I don't even know. The important thing is the marriage was. Yeah. But no, my dad, and my grandpa really, um, you know, formed me as a person, like, as the, I guess, um, two most important males in my life. And then, you know, important females, obviously my grandma and my mom, you know, and, you know, words of advice from all of them are the best. I think one of the best words of advice I ever got from my dad was he said, you can be, do whatever you want in life, you know, but just because you do accomplish that, just remember, it doesn't make you better than anyone else. Correct. And because he got treated kind of oddly because he was a, a maintenance foreman at a college and there was a lot of, you know, a bit of elite academics there and whatnot. Yeah. And they kind of looked down on him a little bit sometimes. But when, when they realized that they couldn't conduct their classes and do things without his crew cleaning up and whatever, then suddenly, you know, built respect over the years. And there was one incident where this one professor really came at him and, and basically from a foreign country, I'll, I'll just let it be from there. And he called him a peasant. And this professor had worn muddy galoshes all the way across the concourse. And uh, my dad reared back. He was, my dad was like five, six, 150 pounds soaking wet. He reared back. and was just going to crack this guy, right? Um, my dad was a tough man. He he used to open beer bottles with his teeth. In the oh my god! He lost his eye teeth doing, doing that. that. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was super strong for his size too. Like I mean, he he was amazing. So he rears back to punch this guy to say, "Oh yeah," and his boss, who was six foot two, two hundred something pounds, grabbed him and just said, "Alex, don't. He's not worth it." And that professor, from that on, he just, "Ooh, I, I guess I can't treat people like this here, like this." Anyway. They ended up having a friendship that lasted like till my dad died. So there you go. The guy who had made all the mud. Yep. You know, that's 
when 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 you stand up to someone, yeah, who's being a bully, yep, or just being just plain obnoxious, yeah, I'm always surprised at the number of times that um, they turn around and say, "Okay, <laughs> I see." What's almost as if they were testing you to see what your metal was, to see it's what cool. you're really made of, and it's like, cool. okay. Sorry about well, that, by the way, but now, now I've, I've got your number, you know? My, my first venture into space, as it were, <laughs> like, space. I did the, um, I did the, uh, uh, th- the final pay-per-view concert commercial for the Spice Girls. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it was at Wembley, England, and, and the, they're going to have this like, live with whatever, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, so to get this, they had, they had, here's the Stargate connection. So they had... Bruce Willis like slated to be the the captain of, the, of their space spy ship, flying them home on their tour. That <laughs> fell. Then they tried getting Dennis Hopper and Jim Belushi. It all fell through. Then they tried to get Richard Dean Anderson. Interesting. And I was on hold the whole weekend. And he was like, "I'm not going to do that." They wanted me here, there, whatever. And he said they just they just thought I was like you know whatever. And I was like, this was like before I even did Stargate. This right. was like the year before. And so I mean, they were going to pay those guys big money. Me, I got like, you know, scale or whatever it was, or it was just nothing compared to the, the ad campaign and the amount of money they made in that concert, let me tell you. But anyway, when we were on set, the, the producer was all, you know, cigar smoking back in the day and he was like, you know, meh, meh, meh. and I said, well, you know, it was kind of, you know, it's kind of crappy that those guys are going to get big money. I'm just getting scale, whatever. He goes, I right, kid, you don't sell tickets. You don't get bums in seats. And I said, oh, don't worry. One day I will. And when we work together again, you are going to pay through the nose. And he just stopped smoking. And he goes, I bet I will, kid. I bet I well will. <laughs> and after that, he treated me really nice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, so. you just, nothing wrong pushing back a little bit. You know? No, but it's a shame that you, it's a shame that we have to treat each other like that. Or, or there are people out there that like do bullying and intimidating to the point where you got to go, okay, this is the game you want to play. Fine. Right. I'll play, I'll play your game. What you don't realize is just because I didn't bring my bag of marbles doesn't mean I'm not ready to play. Right. That's true. That's a fair point. Yeah. Absolutely. And I with that bag of marbles, <laughs> if you have to, some, uh, examples of, um, the professional people in your career who have, who have helped shape you into who you are. Sure. Um, uh, well, uh, one of the early mentors I ever had was Tom McBeath or Tom McBeth. Yes. He was in the show, Stargate. Yeah. Yes. We did a play, we did a play together years ago called, um, oh God, The Visit. And it starred Nikki Cavendish as well. And Tom, all about a woman who goes back to her small, you know, Hungary, I mean, Hungary, no, sorry, a small European town after it's been decimated with financial strife, et cetera. And, uh, Tom played uh, her old beau, etc. It's a very fascinating story. And anyway, but Tom, just the work ethic from Tom, like just his work ethic and his, it's just his, you know, just his amazing professionalism and kindness and generosity. And especially to young actors like ourselves, we were myself and my buddy Peter Greer. We were picked from our UBC um, grad class to be in the show, or because it was free labor for the theater. But anyway, um, we. <laughs> Uh, we got an honorarium. Didn't even I'm my, sure. Didn't even cover my bus fare to get from school to the, back and forth to the theater. Anyway. Got to love those warm fuzzies, man. That's all you're going to get sometimes. Yeah, here, here, have, here, have a nice cup of tea. Right. And, token and be here for 25 hours when we need you. Okay. Right. Uh, no, but Tom is really cool. And, and like as a personal mentor, like really mm. 
just had a big impression on me. And we've remained friends. And his and his partner, uh, Karen Conoval, we're friends. And you know, over the years, we don't get together really that much, but we're you know professional and friendship kind of people. You know. Anyway, uh, we see we've a few conventions together, but on a on a looking up to scale, the only person I ever wrote a fan letter to and I just loved was Kirk Douglas. I loved Kirk Douglas. I came back on a plane, first plane trip I ever went, it was like 1920, I went to Europe. I was coming back, I went on my own, just, you know, my girlfriend and I, or I should say, I went on my own, we, we went together, she went to work as a nanny and I went traveling and then I think the Persian Gulf War broke out. And, eh, yes. You know, so I was 2023, something like that. Anyway, coming back in the airport in Heathrow, I saw, I always liked Kirk Douglas, I loved his performances, but I saw his book uh, and I, look, it was this thick, because I remember. and i picked up the ragman son and i almost finished it on the plane home wow you were sucked in oh god it was so good there was a lot i just thought there was a lot of parallels because his dad was a ragman literally his job in the in the factory was to go around and pick up the oily rags that the other workers dropped and that was his job and you know i I felt a bit parallel because my dad was a maintenance man for Mm -hmm. years and stuff you know and and uh and i just like there were so many parallels i felt like in our lives and I wrote him a fan letter, a fan letter. I wrote him an appreciation letter, just saying, "Listen, I really like you, your work, etc. I love. I just read your book. I fled or fled, <laughs> flew back from Europe, and just you know. And I've just looked at him because he always talks about his hard work ethic and is just everything. He's he was a super hardworking guy, mm-hmm. and and that's what I really liked about him. Like you know, for whatever faults, like everybody has their faults and whatever. He lived to be like a hundred and something. Lived through a helicopter crash, stroke, whatever. Listen, he hung in there. He had my respect, and I really, really, really enjoyed the work he did. He was a fine actor. Like him and John um, Wayne were supposed to maybe do a movie together, and 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 you know, John Wayne said to him like, and he said like, I hear you, I hear you doing this here pansy movie about that Van Gogh guy or whatever, you know. And you know, it's just, you know, he said to Kurt, Kurt, you know, we're 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 icons, we people look up to us. We can't, you know, you can't be playing these like nam- namby pamby characters, or whatever. <laughs> And Kirk's like, well, I'm an actor. I don't know what you are. So he didn't mean it meanly, but he just right. said that. I, I'm and I'm boiling it down. I'm not quoting anybody. Right. And and yeah, and I always respect that. He said, I'm an actor first. I mean, he played Vincent Van Gogh, and he played yeah. like you know generals in the army and stuff, and just like ah. Anyway, there you go. That's yeah. my big ones. Had some. He definitely had some flexibility there. So Absolutely. for sure. Um, tell us about. That first audition was was Zell's your first audition? Did you hit it right out of the park? Were there some that came before it? You know what's funny? No, I actually booked a Stargate before. Really? Zell's. What happened was this: um, uh, it was an episode with Jillian Barber, and and the, and the aliens wore these little veils, these sort of see through veils. Uh-huh. The um, uh, yeah, the uh, uh, the gamekeeper. There you yeah. go. The residents. Residents. Okay, so with I uh, auditioned- yeah, and at the same time I auditioned for the Sentinel, like roughly the same time. And long and the short was uh, the Sentinel uh, got back first, or I auditioned for them first, so they had first dibs. And and I booked guest star on that, and then I booked the guest star on Stargate at exactly the same time. Wow! When and, it rains, it pours. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, drought. Like, <laughs> That's you know. true. <laughs> so so anyway, I booked the two of them, but like Sentinel got back like two hours earlier in Stargate and that was it. Like we, we I couldn't... see, but it worked out great because you see they, in the, in the one with Jillian, um, they just use these little veils. Yes. And then I maybe not would have been able to come back because he'd seen my face. Right. Yes. For a while. So 
it was what I call a happy accident where I didn't get that one, but they remember me for the next, like down the road a little bit here. And then when Zales came up, which I don't even remember how long it was between, I didn't think it was too long between, but maybe it was, I don't know. can't remember. But then Zales came up and I did that audition and booked it and prosthetic makeup. And they found out I had an affinity for the makeup. I didn't mind sitting in the chair for hours or whatever. It doesn't, it, it, I was born on Halloween. So makeup and me go together really well. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. So then that's, that's how we, I got it. That's, and then Michael Greenberg, like, you know, between, uh, Dion Johnson and I, he just said, you guys, you know, you're our go-to guys and you're welcome on set anytime and come on. Wow. Yeah, what a golden to, we, ticket. We didn't even have to phone up. We just had to come by. We said, just come by anytime you want. So we became the go-to <laughs> alien guys and they would write scripts for us with us in mind. And they would ask like months ahead of time, Hey, are you free in June? We're going to do this episode. Yep. Okay, cool. And then I think there was an overlap or something was available. Like the one time I filled in for Dion because he, he was doing Stratford or whatever. Right. But mostly they were able to accommodate. And so we did that like on and off over the run of 10 years. Just extraordinary. Absolutely. Yeah. Forgive me. I'm drinking my tea. I'm very Canadian. No, you're fine. I look at an episode like Spirits, which mm-hmm. I love. Yeah. Um, and it you know, shows how the show because the show is often compared to next generation star trek next generation next generation really took a while to get going there are some tremendous episodes um in the first and second seasons of tng but in my opinion you can count them on one or two hands with sg1 it got out of the gate so fast and you know the spirits is just one of those great examples of really high concept sci-fi that the that the show was achieving really early on uh in its run Tell us about that makeup process. Tell us about getting into that character, into that that one-piece hideous suit, <laughs> whatever you want to call that thing. That's my Mylar gown. Now stop it. <laughs> Lighting that would have had to have been a nightmare. <laughs> oh, it was, it, was, it was fine. Hey, sweetie. My, my fiance just came back from the gymnasium. So. Hello. No, she's back over there. There you go. She, she won't she won't let me turn the camera on her right now so i, I don't blame her it's all right she just got back from the gym leave her alone <laughs> um okay so i noticed i, I changed my shirt because of you david i had my <laughs> trousers on and then i thought, I thought something was different i might have put a nicer shirt on no you're there. all good <laughs> anyway, that's great oh, and we have our little one of our little dogs is deaf look at this we have a little dachshund named Stella. oh you have a dachshund we two of them. She's four. It's her birthday oh, today. Oh, hello, sweetie. Hi, honey. Ruby's down here. I'll show you Ruby. Ruby. Oh, no. Come here, Ruby. Come here. Alex, come here. I had dachshunds for years. There you go. Okay. Here. There's Ruby. Hello. Hi, sweetie. Oh, what a sweetie. There you go. Absolutely. Thank you for yeah, sharing. Well, then one's birthday. We got to take her to the Dairy Queen later because she gets an ice cream cone. Aww. Oh, and to the dog store. Forgive me. Anyway, so, so uh, the uh, best. Zales. Zales. Okay. Yeah. Zales. So, <laughs> and dogs. Anyway, uh, I thought it was a really cool episode because, um, you know, dealing with like, you know, uh, sovereignty, rights, everything like, you know, and it's, it's, it's an obvious parallel to what's been going on in North America and, and South America and all over the world with indigenous peoples mm-hmm. being colonized, et cetera, or mm-hmm. transported, moved, what have you. Um, and like Zell's like he was he was looking out for him like you know it was his thing right you know, um, and and, and Christina Cox who played my partner Takaya, but I just thought it was such a really well crafted well done script and wasn't heavy handed really uh, at all, 
Um, I don't know. I just really liked it. I, it. It spoke to like, who are we? Where are we going? And why are we treating each other like this? Mm-hmm. I mean, we can go beyond where we can step beyond where we where we are. You know, uh, I don't know. I just um, yeah, I loved it. And well, the makeup. Pro- sorry, you were going to say something, David. Sorry. No, I thought you know appearances can be deceiving. You know, you think that this one culture is one thing that, yes. you know, they're not protected and we can take advantage of them. At least our government, SG1 is not cool with it, but our government can. And then, yeah. man, it gets turned on its ear real quick. Oh, yeah. You know, that's just yeah. great it's, stuff. It, that's the thing I always found with Stargate. And like Stargate, the crew and everybody was a really big family. And that's the thing. You take care of your family. And that's what I felt was going on in, in the in the show that that that, that it actually um, leaked into the show or the show leaked into the crew about, you know, caring for each other and family. You don't want to treat people that you're going to see every day poorly. Why would you do that? You know, and you don't want to treat your family poorly or take care of like in the bigger picture, everybody taking care of each other and all this weird COVID stuff that's right. been going on. And, you know, even Shannon and I were removing stuff the other day and just to, just talking to people, doing, just dealing with each other with respect, respecting right. each other. That's the, the key thing is just give some respect to each other and some courtesy and we'll all get along fine. Yeah. And that's what was going on in that show and everybody caring and caring for each other. And like, you know, Zales and, and Takaya saved the, the Salish people from uh, the Gaul, right? You know, and right. Said, okay, well, these people have been transported away from their from their homeland. Let's try to make their homeland seem as, as real again or as more comfortable. So they, that's when they don the, um, the persona of the raven god and the wolf god, etc. Right. Make these people's transition to this alien world yeah. easy. And that's, I mean, they, they really took it like to the nth degree, you know, like, and they were, they were, they were the types of creatures that they were comfortable in pretty much, you know, doing that for them. They hadn't, they had no issue with that. But at the end of the episode, it's like, you know what? I think this, I think the, the humanoid form makes us happy. I think, I think we're cool with this. If you guys can accept it, you know, and it takes SG1 to help them realize, you know, maybe you shouldn't always be impersonating just what. They want you to think maybe they'll be more accepting of you than you realize. And that's a big thing for people across the board here for all the experiences that people have been going through, the LBGQ community, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you are good enough the way you are. Right. And that's the big message of it. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's funny you say with the with the makeup and stuff and going through the makeup every day, like about the transition, et cetera. I have friends that did um, uh, a play uh, for uh, years ago with the Green Thumb Theater. I think it was called The Beauty Machine all about like people's social pressure to become beautiful, become the same. And there's a whole play where this, they, for, these girls deciding whether or not she's going to go into the beauty machine, right. which will make her the same as everybody else. Right. She chooses not to. And of course, like, you know, then they discuss with the kids, the pros and cons of all the above. Well, it's kind of like that with, with the makeup. Like, you know, when I wore the fish gills, it was like people were creeped out by them or grossed out. <laughs> yeah, or, pretty yeah. creepy at first. Oh, at first. But then you get to know somebody and like, okay, that's just the way they are. Like, you know, like when Zales gets to know the, the people and he, they get to know him, he's not a god. He's he's another being like them. Just he's got a bit more power, as it were. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the appearances can be deceiving, like you said. And at first he could look creepy or weird and like the, but he's a really genuine, good hearted person or being, I should say. Absolutely. The makeup, yeah, the makeup was crazy to begin with at first. It was like, I actually should say it's the least crazy makeup I've ever done. Because really? Because it's just a piece that came over like this. And uh-huh. basically I was afraid. You know, and it was like, you know, down here and they colored my hair black. And, you know, I had to wear that Mylar dress, which was like put my temperature to about 172 Fahrenheit. But anyway, um, we actually had a there's a great shot of I wish I had it with me, but of Martin, um, uh, Martin Wood, Christina and I hanging out on sets on the steps of the Stargate. And there was a heat wave in Vancouver at that time. Oh, of course. 
and we're just like we're like we're like just like uh you know and we've got the mylar dress up you can see my underwear i think whatever. <laughs> they're, they're pumping in cool air absolutely anyway it was very fun and that real quick story i've told this a hundred times i think you probably they're doing the scene alex can you start over i had a bit of a, a lag it's for about like 10 seconds there can you cells. can you re, can you start over again for me please how many times which is probably why you can hello computer broke that's fair enough. i'm getting pieces okay. of him um can you hear me can you hear there me? we go okay now Wait. you're back sorry about can that you... please okay. start one more time if you don't no, mind no, you're fine it's all good like i just said Technical difficulties, uh, folks. I'm so sorry. This is what uh, happens in the in the uh, COVID age. We get what we can with what we got. I, I'm so. a oh no, yeah. am I gone? Yeah, <laughs> I'm here. Can you see me? Yeah, I can now. So, okay, if you don't mind, take three. I'm Thank so you. sorry. <laughs> all good. So here we are. I'm lying on a gurney. It's yeah. 38 degrees centigrade. People are passing out just about around us, but I. Fell asleep during a take. <laughs> I have to be unconscious, and I'm lying there, and and because the 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 fish gills are over your nose, your nose right. is sealed up. So I'm breathing through my mouth. Well, I started snoring. Right? Yeah, you're Just on your back. back. <laughs> That's too funny. I'll never forget this. This is what I saw. I got I got to do this for you. Imagine seeing Amanda Tapping do this. Alex, you're snoring. That was my POV of Amanda <laughs> gently shuffling, sh- shrugging, sh- you know, shaking my shoulder, waking me up. And I'm like, you're snoring. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Okay. Action, action. You action. will be punished. <sighs> but I was lying in the thing. You're, you're, I, I couldn't move. And anyway. Oh, that's but was, too funny. I was supposed to be unconscious anyway. I was just, you know, I was method acting. Absolutely. So did, the, um, did they have like air hoses behind you in order yeah. to make the gills do the thing? Yeah. What it was was. So I'm getting all I'm getting all comfy here, and I'm moving the perspective. Sorry, um, they had uh, like little tubes okay. that went smaller and smaller down the back, and they went down the back of my dress, like past my buttocks, and out to this guy who had I'm not joking turkey basters like the bulbs, <laughs> right on the end of all six or whatever, and he would go he would he'd squeeze them, and they would go like, wow, high tech, eh? Hey, whatever makes it work, man. You know, but you think magic of the movies, you would never know that I was connected. To, whenever I'm breathing, I'm connected to some dude squeezing turkey baster bulbs, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, I broke the illusion. I'm going to movie hell. That's one of the reasons we're all here to see how it's done. You know, some of the, yeah. I mean, the simplest, the, the simplest tricks are the best. And it is yeah. one of the coolest slash creepiest, more creepy aliens that, that the show the show did because it's so different you know a huge portion of your face is missing and to relate to that psychologically just takes a little bit to get used to you don't just automatically see one for the first time and go oh huh it's kind of like whoa you know yeah yeah and it's kind of creepy like i have an issue with like holes when i see holes in people's faces and shit and part of my language (laughs) 
there was there was a Michael Jackson video back in the day, and one character, this weird character, and it just for a glimpse had this mouth of just holes, and I was like, oh, wow, oh. yeah. There's it kind of it kind of just makes you. Um, there's there's certain things that we're accustomed to seeing, and then it's not you know, that's that's crazy. Your next episode was one of my um, uh, favorites in. Uh, uh, the ones that you've done, if if not the favorite, um, oh. and I, I I have I, the story that you've that you've told, and I'll I'll want you to tell it again in terms of in terms of this character. Um, my father was uh, a drafted Vietnam helicopter pilot. Oh right. So finding out that Michael was going to be crossing the border um to escape the draft you know i had i had certain growing up in the household that as i did i had certain feelings about that sure. but one of the lines that you suggested yeah put the whole character into perspective for me that i wasn't expected didn't necessarily have to agree with him but no. i understood him and that was the important thing tell us yeah. about michael 1969 yeah. right um a little background real quick here um it was my second episode. Um, I, I got asked to uh, specifically audition for the show. Um, hey, I should turn my phone off. <laughs> I running around here, forgot to turn the phone off. So um, I was doing a play up in Prince George, about twelve hundred, you know, eight hundred kilometers that way, and uh, north. And uh, I had to come back. I had to fl- I had to fly myself back in order to audition for. It. This is before you could tape anything and send it in. Right? Oh, okay. But they asked me to come back. So I flew back and I, I was, if, I was the night of the play. And I, if I missed the, you know, the play, I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll buy the house out, you know, for that night. I'll, I'll just do it. I'll have to. Right. I mean, cause I tend to make a lot more money going to Stargate than doing the play. Anyway. Hey, so I flew back, I came back and, uh, you know, everybody was sort of scoffing all oh, you'll never get it, whatever. I said, so I landed, landed at four 30 back in Vancouver. I was dressed up as a hippie. The stage manager lent me all this stuff. And I went as a hippie and far <laughs> out and, and they loved it. The, the Michael and everybody just were in there. They just loved it. So I left and then I landed at 4.30 uh, and I got a call at 5.30. I was first choice. As I left to the theater at 6.30, oh, you got the job. Great. So I walk in and this one lady was like, so how did it go, Alex? And I said, well, guess who's doing Stargate when, you, when I come home? She was like, oh, Alex. And I, I'm going to say a word. You're nothing but a TV whore. I'm like, what the hell does that even mean? I like to eat. How about yeah. you? <laughs> so anyway, long, that's the funny backstory. But the serious thing of Michael was, yeah, I mean, here's a guy who, you know, he lived life and he was believing in peace and love. And, and there was that whole counterculture movement then. We're trying to get away from the after World War II and Korea. And, you know, now mm-hmm. we got Vietnam. Like, what the hell? So they were really trying to say, like, peace is the way. We don't have to be... Like, you know, take up arms against each other. We can, we can do something different. We can make a new choice. And that's what, you know, you look at all the poetry and the, and the writing of the time and all the, the, the songs, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, Some um, of the best know. music that we have came out of that era. Totally. Like the Eastern uh, world, it is exploding. exploding. Violence, flaring, bullets. Bullets exploding. Anyway. yeah. Oh. Anyway, so I, I just went like, he's, a, he's, he's just a, a peace-loving guy. He loves his fellow man, woman. So I went in there and just, and I have to say, it kind of just played me. If I was a hippie mm. and, you know, cause that's kind of me, I'm, I'm pretty fun, easygoing for the most part, you know, um, just don't get me started. I'm just uh, <laughs> Charles uh, Carell directed this yeah. episode. I was going to, and Charlie, so we're sitting yeah. around talking and I said, Charlie, like, you know, he keeps saying, Oh, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to go to war, man. Don't want to go to war. But Charlie and uh, she was so cool. Such a nice man. and so good at his job and craft. 
And I just said, well, Charlie, it's just that last line. It's just, he said it so often. What's really is, he says, I, I, my character, I don't want to kill anybody. And perfect. We're going to film it. We'll ask him about it later, but they'll be cool with it. Did you do both? Yeah, we shot both yeah. versions. And so they were cool with it. And Michael and, and John and the others, they, and, you know, they made the call and, and, you know, they, they put that in because that's really what was that behind it. Because let's face it, nobody wants to go to war. I mean, ever, but if you have to, then you have to, right? That's a different circumstance. Yeah. That's a different circumstance. Yeah. But certainly nobody wants to don't want to willfully kill anybody, any other human being ever. Yeah. So when it came down to it, he said, that's just it. I don't want to kill anybody. And, you know, and we made that call and, the line got in, and I think it's, it was a better it was a better episode for it. And that's not me tooting my own horn. All I'm saying is, as the uh, approaching it as an actor looking for the essence and the sense of the character, that is the thing that resonated and rang true to me. Yeah, and it comes up when you're in rehearsal, you're doing stuff, and these lines come out of your mouth. It's not leaving. Oh, I'm going to say this line because it's super cool. No, uh, the character is inhabiting my body and spirit, mind, soul, and the words will come out sometimes that aren't mm-hmm. on the page. That's not disrespecting the writer. It's not disrespecting the process. You just you're you're paraphrasing with your soul, mm-hmm. and that's what comes up. And I've always had to honor that because if you don't honor that, then you're not being truthful to the character, right? And you're also and then, not but, not giving the documents the the proper opportunity to potentially shine even further. At least give them the choice, you know. Yeah. Because if you, I, I would think that if you're not doing that, then you're potentially betraying your interpretation of the character and yeah. a lot of these things have to come together you know sure. absolutely and and the fact of the matter is again it's no disrespect to anybody and really good producers writers directors fellow actors they know when a moment works and they're not going to not let a moment work to say you didn't say the right word you know like look at casablanca they didn't even have a fully functioning fill-out script when they started no. filming they and just had like, the talent and exactly. that was enough well there you go yeah Nothing against writers. Love writers. They're the best. Without them, we'd have nothing. But I'm just saying a good writer will will see a good line and say, yeah, that works better. Do it. Yep. Absolutely. Brad Wright would often... Uh, oh, Brad, too. Forgive me. Brad would have approved that for sure. Oh, absolutely. No, he yeah. would... He he was always... He he was never precious on um, on really specific lines of dialogue. You know, he was always up for saying, you know, if you can make it better, great. To change it, just just to change it, that's something else, you yeah. know. But if you, if, if it's, right. Yeah. If you're having an active intent of, you know, I really want to service the text and yeah. this is an idea that I have, you know, just film it and throw it out if it doesn't work, you know, yeah. because some, some things don't always work in editing. So Absolutely. when you, you see other things together. Yeah, when you piece a performance together, like you see the different and a classic example and the best example i think is when uh you know the um uh, from uh the untouchables with sean connery the, the infamous like color close color open color close color open he did this see when he says you know you want to get to capone you want to capone you bring knife you bring a gun you know that's it anyway but there's a whole like a series of i can't remember and his colors open and closed and open and closed and open and closed but see elements of each run were better than the elements right. of one of the whole of the of the other, so they you know they, they cut it together, and there's a prime example where like you know good stuff comes from all over the place. Right. Doesn't necessarily the best take isn't the flowing at once is sparks and it kind of oh and that's good and then and that's good and then the other take those lows are actually higher. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, it's well I mean it's you have to sometimes sacrifice continuity 
one of my favorite uh, uh, films, comedy films, is Music and Lyrics. And there's a mm. scene with with Drew Barrymore sitting in the in the cafe with Hugh Grant, and her cup is either at her mouth, she's sipping, or it's sitting there constantly. But it was the right balance of moments to make it work. So you have to look. If you just stare at the cup, it'll drive you nuts, like his shirt collar as well. You know, it just has to, you have to make the best moment that you can with the information that you have. Yeah, it's it's suspension of disbelief. To really go to another world, to live there, you suspend your disbelief. Because let's face it, even like right now, like this little camera that's capturing me, well, Mm. this is not real. All this is real. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like I'm giving you a selection of my reality right now. So when you see this, you or in a film, like when we watch film, we suspend the disbelief because we know like tap, 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 like just outside the barriers of the frame, there's like 150 people standing there with lights. On and a camera. set, yeah. Yeah, you know that. But we watch it because we want to experience something vicariously that we'll never get to experience. Who's, I mean, how many of us are going to get to go with space? I'm sorry, I'm not a billionaire. I don't have the recreational funds to go do a little loop around the world or the moon. So I've traveled in space a thousand million times, and I love it. Because I You've raced. What are you talking about? You've raced in space. I've raced in space. Anyway, moving on. That's great. Yeah, terrific episode, a classic to this day. And I think Michael and Jenny are, uh, Ember Rothwell, you know, big, mm. big part of that. She was delightful. Oh. I really love oh. your hair. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll have to show you. I've got it somewhere here, but I, I actually have, I had hair like that. Really? I had longer. My head used to get perfect spirals, like, uh, like Shirley Temple curls. Okay. My hair was about down to here, like mid chest, beyond. I just uh, when I cut it in like God, I think I grew it for five years once straight, and I, I cut my COVID hair went for about a year. I cut my hair it was about that long wow. about five weeks ago, but yeah, I know I had the full on. That's the first time in my life when I really needed a long wig because I usually have my hair fairly long. Anyway, but they had to put extensions in me. No, I did extensions for that. I did extensions for um, King Midas on Once Upon a Time, but so many That's times my right. hair's been Midas. Long. Yeah, I love anyway. that show. Next episode. You want to yep. talk about, you know, a full wardrobe, yeah. these foothold aliens. Oh, yeah. You know, the, I, I can't imagine. I can't remember how many suits they, they designed for that. It was at least six or seven, and then they just duplicated them in, in effect shots. But yeah. what? Well, I, I don't think there's any makeup in that. I think it's just a helmet you're wearing. Is that, not, is that correct? Well, in essence, it is makeup because you are wearing something over okay. your face. So it is special effects makeup. And we actually had a mouth thing inside. You had to chew. And it made the mandibles wiggle. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Redknapp was the makeup artist. And he had this thing. And you put it in your mouth. And you're like, oh, 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 oh. And they're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> anyway, it was pretty funny. Um, but, no, that was a tough one because, like, you know, again, very limited vision. I had, like, like they, they had to put a little black piece of black. The, 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 there was a little slit for the eye. You know where it was supposed to be, and yeah. then like you put your hand over like that. It's kind of what you could see, and then they had to put a little black veil to hide my skin tone because my skin, like, you know, I'm 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 fish belly white in February. And you know. <laughs> anyway, so they did that, and then Andy Makita was directing. It was a great episode. I had a great time with it. Um, we all did, you know, Dion and I, everybody. And but I had to race into the control room one time, and you watch my character comes running in, <laughs> and he goes up the steps to where Gary normally sits, right? Yeah. Anyway, or what's his name again? Wally? Well, no, what's his name? Walter. Walter. Gary Jones. You got it. You got it. 
Yeah, yeah. But I just laughed because he was talking about his name and how it came up one time. I was just remembering, <laughs> was it Wally? Anyway, so I come racing up, but I couldn't really see, like, I can't see below here, right? So I thought I put my foot up on the step of the steps and I did not. And I realized, oh shit, I'm going to fall. So I just shot my, my left arm out like this because I knew there was a rail there. I grabbed it and sort of ended up swinging underneath it. And Andy was right off his chair, like, you know, right by the camera. Just, Jesus. Go, Ouch, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Oh, it's okay. So, all right, let's do that again. You sure you're okay? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Well, you've got fun. stairs there, you know? I mean, if you, that, that's an that's a interesting space. Yeah, yeah. What was really funny, too, is even the hands, like the little claws they gave us, like the little lobster claw. Yeah. We could, you could fire, I think you could fire the machine, was it the, uh, you could fire either the machine gun or the handgun. You couldn't fire one of them <laughs> based on what we were doing. I think it was the machine gun we could fire, but we couldn't fire the handguns. Anyway. <laughs> And when we did that scene where the, we were all shooting him with Richard Dean's there, and that's when Tom McBeth comes in. They remember they raid the facility to to, yes. to save everybody. Yes, and that's like, right. And, and like Dean, Richard Dean's sitting there, and he goes bang, and he hits the thing, and it drops down because I'm going to nuke myself and my own yes. men. Yes. But when we were firing those uh, machine guns, there are blanks in there, right? We're inside the room, and I had forgotten to put earplugs in. Oh because we're in no! So we're inside there, but it's okay. But it just reverberated like your entire yeah. being. And you're like, oh, my God, I think I'm deaf. You know what I mean? Because yeah. all those guns in that enclosed space, holy crow, man. That was loud. Absolutely. And you can't yeah. say, yeah, let's take all this off so I can put my earbuds in. No. You know? no. I mean, I suppose you could, but then it'd be like. Mm. So. Yeah, I just want to jump back for a quick second in reference to the, the last episode, you know, with the, uh, the Vietnam not going to war. Mm-hmm. 69. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. I, I, I don't. Michael wasn't a coward. That's what I wanted to say. He wasn't a coward. He just didn't want to kill anybody. And and I, I think he still respected the people that went off to, to war to choose that. That's their path, and they chose that. And that's okay. Like, he, he didn't disparage the, the soldiers that went off, at least in my mind. I didn't play it like that, mm-hmm. right? And Jenny and, 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 and Michael went off, and they had, like, you know, seven love children up in Canada somewhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> After Woodstock. After Woodstock. <laughs> you bet. Um, but that's the, and then people like your dad that served and, yeah. and, and others, and there was a lot of Canadians that actually went and volunteered. Mm. They, they came down and volunteered because they felt compelled to, but that's the thing. It's just, it's about choice. Mm-hmm. And I think that what that dealt with that episode was about like choice and not, and it wasn't cowardice. It was choice. It was like mm-hmm. emotional feeling and like a conscientious objector. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in essence, I think a lot of the guys that went across the border were in essence, conscientious objector, objectionists. Uh, our objectors I, I i honestly don't because it's a i don't wouldn't even call them cowards either because it takes a lot to decide to like you're going to leave your family leave your country everything else i mean Look I at know, edward snowden you know edward snowden yeah yeah so that and then i thank you to your dad for his service and what and flying and endangering himself so we jump back now oh we're over here again. <laughs> back to fun yeah they just took his wings from him last year it was not oh, a no good way. day he flew so I have a lot to be, we has a lot to be thankful for. But yeah. Is he a professional pilot his whole life? Yeah. Yeah. Because of Vietnam. So I have a lot of mixed feelings about it, you know? So it's just, yeah, it's crazy. But Did you it's, the whole time or what? Uh-huh. He flew oh, planes wow. too. But yeah, he flew AeroVac for years. So, hey, dad, I know you're watching. Love you. <laughs> he, he doesn't miss an episode. But, um, you know. Hey, what's dad's name? Dave, just like me, David. Hey, David, thanks very much. And I've ridden in a helicopter once or twice in my life. It's my favorite mode of flying, I think. I, I love it. I love flying, absolutely. What a run with the Unas. Yeah. 
you are one of the few to have played a female Unas. Which is true. In were you in the first ones with the first no. episode with with uh, Dion as Shaka, or was it Beast of Burden that you came in? I came in in Beast of Burden. In Beast of Burden. Vince Hammond and Dion, I believe, were in that that one. Correct. Yeah, I couldn't remember then, if there were if there were others and like females in in first ones or not. But there yeah. may have been. I think there were some in the background. There's there were in the cave. Yeah, they were loitering in the cave somewhere, right? Yeah. As you do, you loiter in caves. You do. It's a new us, you know. Yeah. Uh, no, but I came in Beast of Burden for that, and then that was a really great episode because I got to play. I think I played six or eight characters in that one alone. Right. You know? Um, because I played like yeah, we were like the the Unasses working in the field. We were the Unasses for slave and uh, for Auction. sale. Slave yeah. Market. Uh, we were the Unis's working in the town. On the tavern. Uh, we, yeah, we were. We were. The, and then I was. I was shy one. I yes. played that was the main guy, shy one. Then I played the bloodhound Unas that was hunting my own self. You know, and there was a few more. I can't. Oh, and then I played the female waitress, of course, which was really cool because they put they, they put the little bodice on me with a little slight like <laughs> boobage. Right. You know? You're right. Exactly. No horns. Was, you got to do a couple of different things. Yeah. And and I said like, well. Like like all the characters like Dion and I talked about their movement and and like the, like the from from um, foothold like they were we, we they were like like lobster men so we thought well they must be they could be from underwater maybe they developed underwater so their musculature would be different they'd be super strong because they had to move underwater mm-hmm. right anyhow so we did that and then with with the Unas here they were like lizards right like you know and like they had like fast switch much muscle and they're they're very quick and and whatnot and and so we talked about that too and and I actually based shy one off of lou gossett's character uh fiddler from um uh, um you know uh roots the 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 tv the tv series roots i based shy one off of fiddler like, like an indentured slave and he was just it was so i mean you know rebelling was just so foreign to him right because he'd been a slave his whole life basically right that's all you know you know yeah it's that's easy you know. hindsight is easy to say well you know why didn't he well because it's what he knows that's right. No, not talking about right or wrong. We're just talking about what is. Absolutely. And then the the shot, the, the scene when like Dion shoots um, Larry Drake's character. Yes. And then passes the the staff to me, and I, whoa, you know, take it up. Yeah. And pivotal moment. But back to the female waitress Unes thing. Once in rehearsal, again, good things coming up. So we're in rehearsal, and Shanks is sitting there, and we're and he asks for a drink and whatever, and I and he says please, and then I just like no, like I look at him like give him a little sniff because he's different than the rest, right? He's not like the other right. freakos, these jerks around here. This guy's, this kid's new in town, you know? But that was the thing. I thought, well, what would an animal do? Like, what do dogs do? They sniff people. They, you know, check them out. Like, you're different, right? So, and Martin Wood just loved it. He's, oh, nice, nice. <laughs> you're doing good with Martin. You either get a nice, sweet, or we got, all right, we're going again, you know? Whatever. <laughs> right, exactly. But, put that little sniff in. and But there's all physical changes. Like, every creature that you play... Every person moves differently. The the bloodhound unuses were just psychos. They were just like you know bloodthirsty bastards, and they were just running around like yeah. Maniac. They've been they've been conditioned to do that. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. But that's just it. I mean, everybody has their own thing. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just every character. And it's funny. Real quick, I, I fell asleep uh, during a break one time. Um, it's a picture of me lying on the grass. I'm just like, uh, but I closed my mouth. <laughs> I have no passage to breathe through the oh, nose. Shoot. So I close my mouth and I'm, so, I'm lying there and in my dream, I'm suffocating in my dream. I'm like, can't breathe, can't breathe. I'm like, why can't I do? And then 
I woke up and I was in this, like, I was in this um, like little unused room at the time and we weren't filming it. I was alone and I said, oh, okay, Alex, calm down. It's okay. That's spooky. Don't let, any, don't let anyone know that you just, you're such a goofball that you did that. Wow. Yeah. But after went on, I put a pillow behind my neck to keep my head back. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Jeez, man. That, that was, um, I love that episode. You've got a society that uh, has used these things for all forms. And what one of the, the most striking moments for me is when the little boy comes in with the Yunus, who is his caretaker, who's right. clearly a friend. And yep. this guy, this kid has no perception of slavery or anything else. And he reaches out and he holds his hand as he walks, walks away from the, um, uh, from the cages after after someone had someone had hurt his a family member or something like that. It was like wow, you know there are there are a lot of layers to this that, um, it's just a lot to take in. You know yeah. when when a society absorbs another one, you know not not everyone is not everyone is is. I think I think you could certainly say everyone is in part guilty for the circumstance, but you look at that kid and you look at you look at uh, for all intents and purposes, you know, uh, a nanny or a mother, you know, yeah. or a or a stepfather. It's like wow, you know, there's 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 a lot that had there's a lot to unpack in that episode. Yeah, well, can you think of it? There's a lot of humanity. I mean, it's obviously parallels to slavery, of course. Of course, it's yeah, it's slavery. sci-fi. Well, for the well, for the American experience, at least, I'll speak to that. Like when you look at something like, um, you know, Django, uh, Django Unchained, yeah, right, where you got Leonard DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio's character and Sam, uh, oh God, um, Rain, uh, um, oh, for Pete's sake, Samuel L. Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson, yeah, who's the complete him. other end of it for sure. Yeah, but here's a man who had been, and he's a slave, so mm-hmm. he has to do what this guy's told, but. Of course, because see, the thing is, in 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 the slave uh, mindset, I would think like you have you're forced to treat these people like you care for them, like you're their family. And of course, we're we're all humans, so you're going to have some affection for this kid that you raised, right? His character. Did. So that's the tough part. Is one side of this group is looking; they still have humanity, and yes, they've been forced to look at people as being more human or treat them more like more humans. But they also have the capacities to still do that. Whereas mm-hmm. from the master side of it, as it were, or the owner side, they don't have that. And you do this and treat my children as such, but I'm not going to treat you as such. Mm-hmm. You know, and that comes across when you look at in the in that movie when when uh, Leonardo character Leonardo's character is killed, and you know Samuel L. Jackson character yells out Calvin, and he just like runs to him, but he's been conditioned, conditioned to do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not just freedom of choice. He didn't have choice, or maybe he did. I don't know. But yeah, would- well, that's one of the interesting things about that particular character. There may be some complicity there, but you know, typically, you're right. You know, yeah. But I, I, I'm saying, by and then you look at the and tying it back to here is when he takes that 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 creature's hand. See that thing, the creature and the unas and that has has far more, let's say, humanity or creature creature entity. I don't know. Yeah, like than than the human child. Yeah. Or even the or, or even the humans around, forgive me, but the humans around, because he's still going to treat that helpless little boy like a helpless little boy. Yeah. But you know, the second he pisses somebody off, he, he's going to get shot in the back of the head or or zatted or whatever, right? So, there you go. Just love the episode. Yeah. Metamorphosis. 
oh yeah took a really different direction in terms of uh makeup in terms of like mm-hmm. an, an approach for the the character you were playing another um slave in slave society this yep. time because of Jacqueline Samuda Nirti yeah. Nirti what was it about Egger that struck you as delicious to play because he you played off of Dion yeah you know in this episode the two of you were really the ones uh in in control of that group of people on yeah. Nirti's behalf we uh, we basically played it. I think we I think we decided to play it like we were brothers, basically. Mm-hmm. And and uh, well, that was the whole thing. Is like again, when you are forced by a more powerful entity or compelled to do something you do not wish to do, you find the path of least resistance, so that you are punished the least, mm. maybe rewarded the most, or at least the keep keep the violence down to a minimum, right? Or the or the the harm, the punishment, etc. So that was the whole thing, like, you know, and it's about, are you com- like, you know, with complicit in people complicit in fascism, like people that collaborated with Nazis and stuff where they're saying, well, we, we were collaborating with Nirti, were we? Well, yes, but we were compelled to, you know, and, and then, and then in the end, when we, you know, you see her for what she really is. Right. He looks into her mind. Exactly. You know, uh, then you realize, oh, wait a minute, this wasn't for our benefit. This wasn't for what. So, you know, you, they were sold a bill of goods that was a complete and utter lie. And, um, and they've been mutated and they've been, you know, harmed and their whole families and, and their culture has been like destroyed because of this person. So, you know, for me having like, you know, everybody fantasizes either about being telekinetic or being able to read minds, et cetera, and whatnot. And, and that's just it. It's like, you know, and it was added to the, the mystique with the one white eye and like, you know, right. It's just like, it's a beam you know, into your soul. Yeah. And I had this little, chicken paw weird hand and whatever yeah. and just like you know i i it's the old thing like the, with the greeks the seers the ones who could see everything were normally blind mm-hmm. yet they could see and they could move beyond they could go into the emotional um spiritual transit like transitory world that most of us are too afraid to go to or don't want to be a part of and that's kind of like the way i played him like egger like you know he became that way he wasn't probably like that as a kid but after being you know mutated this his whole his mind his soul his body changed everything physically warped yeah. and changed completely so, yeah. transformed yeah. yeah that's a solid show i uh um and it very similar parallels to some of the earlier episodes that you did with yeah. with enslaved cultures so absolutely we return to the unas with mm. enemy mine oh yeah iron shirt korosek or korosek korosek unas this had to have been a delicious part yeah it was great i mean you know when you get to play bad guys and are really interesting characters we didn't call we didn't call iron shirt bad necessarily but he was one tough mofo yeah he was he was he led the revolt as far as that's the way i played him he led the revolt on his planet against the gaul that's the way i played it right and uh he he earned his stripes and he had to fight within the unas community to become the big leader and my it was really great my buddy uh wycliffe hartwig he's six foot seven you know huge guy and uh when vince hammond couldn't do the episode and they were like dan shea was like, oh we need someone to help apply the shoot or whoever it was said that i said hey i got a really tall friend anyway like he would have had my character Korosek would have had to beat him for a challenge if he challenged him for the for the leadership because yes. he's the big guy anyway it was super cool because like he was like he 
he realized what had been done to him and his people. And he had said, enough is enough. And I don't damn the consequences. We're not going to live like this one more minute. And they ripped the crap out of the Gawold and defeated them. You think about that. That's a pretty hefty price for, tag. For Unas, that's, that's a big deal. Oh, yeah. You know? They were certainly capable of it, but to to do that, yeah, he would he would certainly have a, a badge of honor for that. Oh yeah, you know, totally. or at the very least his his ancestors. So was it yeah. him or was his? I think it was his yeah. ancestors that did it. It, it was probably his, his ancestors, but I guess yeah. I, in the sense of I play it like that's his mindset, like he's yeah. willing to do that. To that's there, his tribe; know. those are his people. Yeah. Well, I mean, he he, he was going to die come hell or high water to to get. You know, uh, Michael Rooker's character and the rest <laughs> off his. Planet. You know, I've had enough of this crap, boys. You know, we went. We, my people defeated the Gaul. Sorry, it's been years, but my people defeated the Gaul. Yeah, and coming back, and that was the that was the point of the episode. It's like, hey, listen, colonialism is still colonialism. Yeah. Slave, if it, if it's physical slavery or economic slavery, it's slavery. Mm. And if you exploit another another people for their resources, that's slavery. You you know what I mean? Whether they're in chains or not. Oh, yeah, they're free. It's fine. But we're going to take everything of value that they have, potential value for their culture that we value, and we're going to exploit them. That doesn't fly. What was it like um, learning that language? Because Peter DeLuise, yeah. that was that was a big part of his deal was making sure that, you know, the Unos and the Gold languages were consistent. Yeah. Um, what, it was cool. Yeah. I had a great time learning it. Are you kidding? I, again, I'm not joking. I was born on Halloween. I like to play characters. <laughs> I like to play dress up. Um, and uh, like learning that language because it really, when you when you don the costume, when you get in the makeup, like seriously, after you go in the chair, like Dion, Dion and I would get in the chairs and like, you know, three or four hours later, he would wake up because he could fall asleep like that in the chair, which is great. Uh, but you wake up and you're, you're a lizard. Yeah. Like, what acting do you really need to do? Yes, because so much of the costume is doing the work for you. But, I mean, you still – you have the musculature, et cetera, the spirit changes. And it's it's just incredible. Like, you know, the the I think I'm going off topic. What did we just ask here? But it's just the transformation. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's it's quite – and I, I've, I've heard people describe that once they go into this, it's like you say, their spirit, their being like changes and you kind of have an idea of how to move or at least a yeah. direction of what's more appropriate given, given the circumstance, you know, and with him, you have teeth, you know, your, your yep. talking is different. Oh, well, the talking, right. The speech real quick. So, so Peter did, he wrote the, the Bible for this and the, and the, and the alphabet and whatever the, the whole word, he created the language basically. And that was a really cool thing for me because it became like it was came to me really easy because I felt like I mean I was this character so you know the character became me and you know what I mean mm-hmm. it just and so using the language the language helped root the character even stronger for me you know what I mean wow. but you're right yes our ancestors I'm remembering now our ancestors did defeat the Gawold but I mean there's always keeping vigilant you know correct yeah sooner or later they may try again you could try again but yeah the, this is the language of like you know, the, I still remember like Uma. Yeah, uman no kaka unas, unas kokaka uman. You know, don't worry. We're not going to, you know, Shanks is warning, oh, you know, we're going to get killed. He's, don't worry. You're not going to do the killing. We're going to do the killing. <laughs> and because you don't know right about us. And that's it. That's what I love at the end. We're like, you know, I'm standing with Michael Rooker's character, who I killed, I think, like two, three times in other shows. Anyway, <laughs> so, you know, he comes up and he's like, 
yeah, it's just me and my homies. Don't worry about it, you know? And like, you know, the ridge line is full. And they're like, oh, we're in deeper than we thought. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Because here's a guy, Michael Rooker's, yeah, Michael Rooker's character is just demanding respect, demanding. Well, he's demanding respect. Why? What did you do to be respected? You, you stole from our people. You, you killed our people. You did. There's no, there's no respect going on here. Uh-huh. And by the way, the shoe's on the other foot. And here's my size 57 shoe going to step on your neck. <laughs> With all my boys back here, you know? So. But by yeah. the end of the episode. Might is right. They yeah. make a. Sorry, they go make ahead. A, I apologize. By the end of the episode, they make a, oh. a peace treaty. That uh, the the Unas will will mine the Naquita in honor of their ancestors, and this from a mytholo- from a from a mythology standpoint for the show is absolutely critical because they pump yeah. out at least five more spaceships in the later seasons, and that That's is right. because of the sacrifice that that these Unas me made. Me and my peeps, me and my peeps, absolutely. There you go, and I, I like to think Korosek retired, and you know he's having a little a lovely little brood of kids and whatever. So. <laughs> Dion Johnstone's character of Warwick yep. was introduced in season six. You, yep. uh, he was unavailable, so yes. you came back uh, f- uh, on his behalf in Space Race. Yeah, yeah. tell us about Warwick. Well, it was funny because, like Dion, I think he was doing Stratford, yeah. which is great. I've never done Stratford. I'd love to have, but he was off doing Stratford, I believe, and he couldn't come back. So they asked, would. I play Warwick because I kind of knew the character from before. Well, not that we worked together before, but I knew Dion's vibe, right? And they said, well, can you come in and play Warwick for us? Just be sure. We, we're, they weren't sure it was going to work mm-hmm. to have someone else play that character. So I said, okay. So I watched the episode and I got his vibe and I know Dion. So um, I walked in and I did it. And they go, oh, that worked great. That was perfect. Okay, cool. We'll do this. So Patrick Curry played my brother in it, uh, in the show. Eamon. I played, yep. you know. And then, um, uh, so I so I, I played Warwick and... Um, it was really funny though because they, I guess they had lost the mold or something of the previous morning, so they had to redo oh, it. No. And when they redid it, they made him like like a little jollier than he was, like a little more heavy set. And I was like, oh, it kind of looks like him, but you know, you know. Anyway, and then they put me in this suit that was a seven mil thick uh, neon like sw- skin diving suit, right? So that mother was hot. And, oh jeez. Um, Getting into the character of Warwick was really good because I had like Dion to channel. So I channeled Dion and the truth that he's and being on that planet for all those years and, you know, all that stuff. So I channeled all that and it was great. The, the, the issue I had the one time was I think Andy was directing again here. I was apparently I was in the scene where we're like we're in the space dock or whatever. And Eamon is showing us stuff on the thing. And I had some line and I, I turned to the to, Karen, to the whoever and said, like, you know, like I wasn't I was speaking gibberish. I had no idea I was overheating. Oh gosh. They, they kind of came in and I guess they were talking to me and I wasn't responding. So they peeled off the back of the suit. And I just, it was just like this plume of steam come out and like, Oh my God. So they threw all these ice packs on me, gave me a bunch of water and whatever. I was overheating and didn't realize it. And uh, then all of a sudden it was like, like literally all of a sudden, just, Oh wow. People are around me. They're speaking the English language. I, I was so unaware I had overheated to the point where I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what was going on. And so they got me all cooled down, everything else. And it was like, maybe next time let's not use skin suits, like seven mil skin suits or skin diving suits, you know? Um, yeah. So I got a little too hot in that one. But overall, it was a great time. Had a good time with it. And Samantha working with, you know, Amanda is flying the ship yeah. together. And, uh, she's my fave. The boys are fine, but I like Amanda better. <laughs> 
there's something um, just wonderful about Amanda Tapping, you know, and it's it it harkens back to the fact that th- this is this is a hugely successful director now, who you know oh, yeah. it, it, it can, is is getting more work than she can handle, and she she deserves every accolade she gets. So. Yeah, yeah. We, we we did a, we did a I did a sanctuary with her, mm-hmm. um, and then um, I did an episode of um, a short lived series called Strange Empire, and she was directing the next one, and I was like, oh damn it! And we saw each other on set, and that was the great thing. Like even after all these years, you still see each other, but you have those bonding moments, right? And it's just I, I seriously like I, I love I, I don't get to see Amanda at all. We don't hang out socially, or whatever, but I really consider her a friend. Like she's so sweet, so nice, so caring. Like, you know, just working together, like that, that bond, like when you're 17 hours a day or whatever, like, you know what I mean? It's, they say like you spend more time at work than you do with your own family when you're It's true. Music. True. So. Yeah, absolutely. Most of us in our other jobs too, of course, but it's just, it's a different thing when you're on set and like, you know, you've got to make the day, you get whatever. Because like, listen, at the end of the nine to five or day, like, you know, you lock the door, you go home and you come back the next day. But with us, it's like, we got to make the day here because, you know, we, we're not going to make tomorrow. Correct. You got to get it in the can. Yeah. What's the longest day on set for Stargate for you? Longest day, I think, was 17 or 18 hours straight. Yeah. We went to work around 3, 3.30 in the morning up in the GVRD, uh, the you know Greater Vancouver Regional District, when we were doing the um, uh, Beast of Burden one. When I would, we were specifically when we were doing the um, uh, Bloodhound bits. Yes. And then... When we did one episode, it was that same episode, Alex Pappas was assistant directing and Dion and I were, I think it was Dion and I, uh, well, I was tied up for sure in, in one of those little pens, you know, like. Yes. And um, we I, we were just fading, like just fading. And we were going into our like 15th, 16th hour. And Alex said, hey, uh, Alex, Dion, you guys going to make it? And I just said, honestly, Alex, I, I, I couldn't tell you. I'm so tired. And we were, okay. Calls up. <laughs> Got, got got transport and said uh, they were going to move the cars. They got transport guys to drive our cars to wherever. They put us up in a hotel. They said, you're not driving home, whatever. They started then from then on, like, because locally you're supposed to go home at the end of the night if you're a local actor. Well, the, we went to bed. We went to bed. We went to work at 3.30 in the morning and wrapped it, like I see, so 3 30, 8.30, like 10.30 at night. So, you know, other people had worked a 12-hour day or maybe a 15-hour or whatever it was. We worked like an 18-hour day. So, they, they started putting us up in the hotels. Like, we didn't even have to ask anymore. They drove us. And again, that's not a, a, a common thing uh, in the master agreement or whatever it is. But Stargate did it. And they took care of us like family. And yeah, it was wow. awesome. Tremendous. And we're alive and didn't get killed in a car crash driving home sleeping. So there you go. Things happen. You know, oh, yeah. absolutely. These the 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 stress that you put on your body in doing this. Andy Frizzell, you know, talked about. You know, it took four yeah. hours to get her makeup on as the Wraith Queen. It took yeah. two to get out. You yeah. know, you have oh, to yeah. get out of this stuff, and it yeah. takes a while if you want to do it properly. Because some of the pieces you want to be able to reuse. Oh, you have to, like the cowls. Like they put the the major cowl over, right? And then they, they put the face on, so you have to save those cowls. Because I think I got a quote one time: like, the full Unas bodysuit cost around 40,000 US to produce. Yep. Like it's not cheap. A lot so that's goes why into the makeup. Oh yeah. That's why in that one episode we played so many characters because they would throw a different costume on us and we change our physicality. They might change a little bit of makeup. Correct. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was, I think the longest makeup was like four, four and a half hours for me, somewhere in there. And then yeah, an hour to two hours to get out easily. 
it's just crazy the the amount of the amount of money that goes into a television show i have uh brian j smith's uh costume here from stargate universe which was modified from a costume that was created for season five of atlantis they created three of these and the manufacturing costs were each of them was a hundred thousand dollars oh my god hundred thousand dollars you know it's like and All the pieces that go into it, you know, I can understand it when that translates to man hours in fabrication. So it's just crazy. When they sent me down to Santa Monica, they flew me down to Santa Monica for for the first full-on body molding, right, I did for Stargate. And that was crazy. Like, you know, I'm standing there and there's a crew of like eight, ten people like molding my body in things in my face and everything. It was just nuts. Is this for the super soldier? Uh, no, no, this was for, I didn't even do that. For, all I was, I was in the, for Super Soldier, I was just in like the, the CGI suit with the little ping pong balls. Okay. But for the Unas episode I did, uh, the first big one, um, the Beast of Burden, they had to make it fit my body. Wow. Right? So you had to leave the country in order to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh. Now like, most of the shops up here, like, you know, I think Todd Masters ended up taking over Masters FX. But back then they were, or was it? No, it wasn't Masters FX. Yeah, I did. No, it was. It was Masters I FX. Think it was Todd, I went down yeah. To in, in Santa yeah, that's right. But he didn't. He didn't have a shop open here at the time. That's right. what it was. So he didn't have a shop here. So he just flew me down there for the day, and like it was great. I had a good time. Got to go to Santa Monica. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, pier afterwards and walk yes. the boardwalk and. Yeah, it was cool. So I was under the impression that you were the super soldier alongside Dan Payne in Lost City. That's not you. I was. I okay, was, so no, you yeah, did have me. the costume at a certain point, fully on. No, 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 no. They only CGI'd my costume. In Lost City? Dan was a... Okay, so when I... They had me go in a, a room. I did motion capture for it. Sorry, I yes. did motion capture. They had me only as a motion capture warrior. That's who I was. Okay, so, so Evolution Dan, 2 in the big crowd. That's you. Yeah, and and then when the, you know the spaceship takes off and the, the guy jumps up and grabs onto the spaceship... I did that as well. Um, I don't know. Maybe Dan did too. I think they had a bunch, like Dan and I both do it, but they picked whatever one. So I, we had to do the, all these motions of the of the troops walking around and doing yes. different things and then leap. So I was only ever the motion capture guy, and then they CGI'd or whatever Got it. on top of that. Whereas Dan played the full-on real costume dude. Okay, understood. I'm a little, I'm a little super soldier. <laughs> well, in the season finale in Lost City yeah. in season seven, there's two of them. That right. ring down to the Antarctic base. So there's someone else there. And I always was under the impression that it was you. So now I'm going to have to figure out uh, who that no, was. I don't know who that was. That okay. Yeah, it wasn't me. Unless, they, unless again, it was they CGI'd me and put whatever. I don't know. There was like, someone you know, practical it, standing next to him. It was. So. Okay, well, it wasn't yeah. me. Okay, understood. Yeah, so you, you you're, think the only actor that I can, that I can think of who's who – the characters that you've done on Stargate easily extend past the hundreds. When you include all the characters that we've talked about, we include the, the wide shot of uh, the digital replication of the Unas in uh, enemy mine. And then in evolution two, when Anubis is mustering his troops, that is all you. That's me and Dan. I I think it's Dan and I just replicated it. Oh, so the two of you, yeah. Okay. So you did different. So you each did a pass. Yeah, I'm sure we each did a pass. I'm pretty wow. sure. Yeah. That's absolutely yeah. crazy. And That's what, why I, I laugh because I said thousands of characters. I literally have. Yeah, exactly. I literally have. <laughs> what is the experience of mocap like? Because you were doing it in those earlier days too, where it wasn't so yeah. common, like it is now for every video game that's out there. Yeah. 
it was it was interesting real quick also don't forget in foothold i was the alien leader but then i was a bunch of other guys too sometimes right. I, <laughs> I still think you hold the record yeah. on the plane i get shot on the plane you know like i can't remember who i, I was somebody other i think i was was i shanks i don't know I can't yes remember. you were shanks shot. mayborn shot you tom right. shot you sit down that's right and i go down yeah <laughs> so i had like I was I was that guy. I was the alien leader. And I think I was another one. So I played like two, three, or four more characters in that too. And my my favorite part was like when I got to nuke everybody and just like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What did he say? I don't know. He's that's right. Garbly duck. He's that's lobster. Exactly right. <laughs> I'm taking you with. So me. you were seeing something. Else. The super soldiers and and um, yeah. uh, uh, motion capture. Oh yeah. So motion capture like, that was like, you know early days. Uh, for me at least, and I think early days overall. But it was it was fun. Like you put on the little leotard, you got a little ping pong balls, and they put the little dots on your face, and away you go, right? But like, you got to stay inside the whatever it's called, the you know the the world or the parameter. Yeah, whatever. the radius of the the cameras. Yeah, yeah, you do that. And I've done a, a, some other motion capture for some other games and stuff. And you know, it's especially with the ones with the camera on your face. Now today, like you can't interrupt the stream if you put something in front of your face. It breaks the stream, mm-hmm. and I'm a very polite young man. So when I cough, I <coughs> cover my mouth. <laughs> and they were like, "Stop doing that!" I'm like, "It's been 50 years of conditioning." <laughs> you mean not hold my hand up to my face when I cough? You try that. Yeah, it takes a while, you know, especially these days. That's that's over with. So yeah, I don't have to do it now. I have a mask on. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, I know that's my issue too. Oh man, it is. A body of work that is has to do you proud, considering the the ongoing success of the franchise. Yeah, I mean, I it's one of the things where you know, I I really hit me early on, like, and and I say it's ongoing successes, but also to the minutia of the successes, where it really struck home to me how far and wide and deep this show connects with people. Because uh, I was, I think, in London. Uh, one of the earliest conventions I'd ever done. I think it was the first convention I'd ever done uh, to London. And um, a fan basically said, you know, if it wasn't for the show, I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. Like they were contemplating suicide and that show brought them back because it gave them hope for humanity, gave them hope for themselves to come hope for mankind. And that really hit home with me. Like someone to share, like a stranger, basically sharing with you, Hey, you're part of something that actually s- saved my life. I was like, whoa, because I used to lifeguard for years. I lifeguarded 15 years. I've actually saved lives, you know. But physically, yeah. Physically. But because of your entertainment, you know, or, the, or the, your skill as an actor and the entertainment of the show, but the depth and the meaning of the show, that was completely different. And I was like, whoa, okay. So this this goes beyond just people enjoyment and entertainment. This isn't just like vicarious fun, like watching about popcorn fluff movie. This is the real deal. And I always knew that, you know, your brain knows that intellectually, you know, it. but when you hear it from another human being saying, I literally would have killed myself if this show hadn't given me some hope. I was like, whoa. And that just, I've never forgotten that moment. Never forgotten that moment. Like I say, I was it in London. I know it was in London, but it's been so long ago now. I just, yeah, it just, it hit me, you know? And I've heard other things where the show has inspired people. It's in, it caused people to become writers, actors, to to just do better in their lives as a human being. You know, people hey, have met because whatever. of the show and married. Yeah, 
There you go. So it's crazy. And I got to see real quick before I, I got to pass on my uh, just acknowledgement of about Cliff Simon's passing recently. It was so tragic. Like, you know, I heard that I'm, I'm even sitting here thinking about it now. I'm just gutted by it. Like, Jesus, like, oh, so horrible. But, and there's a guy, that guy was a prince. Like, seriously, like he was so sweet, so nice, so genuine, so kind, so real. And he wasn't pretentious in the bit in the least, you know, he was so real. And God, like, you know, talk about, I don't know, it's, it sounds cliche to say he was taken way too soon. Well, he was. Like, you know, he was. And that's just crap. Because I remember meeting him at, the, I think, first in London one time and just hanging out. And we didn't really know each other, what each other had done. And just, he was just, he treated me like gold. You know what I mean? So, he was one of the greats. And he deserved yeah. every ounce of success that he got in his career. Totally, man. And we shared the swimming background. I wasn't an Olympic swimmer or anything like that, but I competitive swam and lifeguarded. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we hit it off. Like, you know, I really liked it. Oh. Anyway, I just putting it out there, a, a guy who touched the world where that show reached farther out in a different scope for different people. And, and Cliff was a big part of that. Sci-fi has a, a, a means of transcending the human condition that a lot of other programming uh, doesn't even attempt to achieve. There is something about it where it makes you say, and if it's doing it right, if it's doing the job right, it doesn't pound you over the head with it. And a lot of it certainly does. But Stargate, I never felt did. It makes you say to yourself, huh, let's take a look at things from this perspective outside of my own. You know, let's consider this from this angle. What can I change about myself to make this situation better? Right. Like, like when like Michael Shanks' character says to Michael Rooker's character, all you have to do is bend and bend the knee. <laughs> you yeah. said to bend the knee. That's all you got to do. It's not a huge thing. You're not saying I'm a coward. You're not saying whatever. You're saying I respect you and you respect me. So let's respect each other. That's all you have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you I watch Game of Thrones? Oh, are you kidding? So in that situation, bending the knee would have meant yielding an entire army. You know, if, if John were to do that to Daenerys. So it's well, yeah. so interesting to see where this this person who is in, in Stargate, it really yeah. is just about his own ego. You know, would you Bingo. be willing to do this, you know, to get yeah. at least to save our lives, let alone, you know, the potential possibility of getting what we've come here to get? Yeah, but that's where it goes. Like Michael Rooker's character was like it was more ego based for him. Correct. And he was willing to sacrifice everybody based on his ego. Yeah. And that's another thing that the, the show quite, uh, brought to question is the validity, the validity and validation of our political leaders and or like our military leaders that wanted to engage in reckless wars. Mm. And that was that. That was a reckless war. That war that was like, hey, in the face of tens of thousands of people dying, right? You know, oh, we'll just come back and we'll wipe them all out. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put a little pause on that for a sec, you know. But that just shows that he didn't see the UNAS's uh, the una or the unai i guess as being equals yeah or at least being people well yeah yeah, yeah. Or what, what's a people like you know i'd say equal like you can be a lizard person or you can be a humanoid person what a human piece person and you can still be like a, a being right mm-hmm. uh, uh yeah i the wording it would be right but but that's just it and that's 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 why i almost had to kill him for the second time on television <laughs> Jeez. I killed him. I killed him. In, I killed him in uh, my character. Killed him in um, uh, Jeremiah. Ah, in Jeremiah, what a great show! Short-lived show. 
Yeah. And I, and I evacuate all the air in his chamber that he's in and I suffocate him. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's been a while, man. I need to go back and rewatch that. That's a good show. Yeah. I, oh, have... by the way, sorry, quick, 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 Game of Thrones fan, huge, my girlfriend, a huge, a fiance and a huge Game of Thrones. She bought me Game of Thrones, the, the box set. Afterwards. Yeah. I have in my bar right over there. I have uh, a bottle of, uh, uh, Targaryen, um, family, um, scotch. I'm a huge scotch fan and we and for the final party we had a big party at our friend's house and they had like you know uh the like the all the family banners up and, ah, and like, for the final um, episode I, sorry you jealous you should be <laughs> <laughs> we flew back i flew back from grand prairie my hometown and i was in the calgary airport and they had like you know um game of thrones beer and oh, wine. Yeah. so i bought all this stuff and that precious targaryen scotch i've held that there for since the end of the show and i'm just like Every so often, I crack it up and just never <laughs> right the bottle. No, just kidding. A little bit here and there, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have some fan questions. If you still have time, oh, please. I've been chatting away here. If a uh, Teresa MC, if you were asked to create your own character for Brad Wright's uh, uh, upcoming, hope still in develop, we're still in the yeah. development phase, uh, SG four series. Um, what would what would you like to come back as if it were up to you? Hmm. Well, people always say, would you like to be a human and whatever? And I mean, I played a human on Stargate the once on Michael the Hippie, you know? Correct. That's cool. But 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 I don't know. I think I probably want to do another alien, almost like a, uh, you know, if, if there was going to be like a Spock-like character, mm. or something like working with, you know, the humans, I think that's what I'd like to do. Like do that, be that bridge between races. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Elizabeth Lee wanted to know what characters do you prefer performing other over other types of characters? I suppose that's kind of like a genre question or a... Yeah. Uh you know what? Again, I I think I've made my living dying on TV. Uh <laughs> and I, I, I talked to Sean Bean. I, I do the readings of Snowpiercer every once in a while. I do the, like yeah. when the other actors can be there, I help read in the other actors' parts. Uh anyway, and we had that discussion. I said to him, I said, You think you're doing pretty good with 23, but I think I've got 38 to 40. So just so you know. And he, he had a good laugh at that. We deaths, had You mean? Yeah, deaths. Sorry, okay. deaths. Yeah. Uh, one of the fans <laughs> at one of the conventions once did me a star greet or death reel of all the characters. And, and wow. it was pretty fun. In the 30s, even then. So um oh golly, what was I saying now? I, I was gonna tell you a story real quick here, but uh we were talking about dying on TV. Yes. Anyway. I just make my living dying on TV. I think I've been killed like 40 times or whatever. It's just crazy. Charlotte, uh, how did you survive the, the prosthetics process? Do you, do you put yourself in a headspace? No, I I love it. It's, I know I don't have to survive anything. I love it. It gets tiresome. Maybe when you're into your 18th hour, fifth day in a row. Yeah. Uh, You know, and as I've gotten older, like Dan and I, we did uh, uh, aliens ate my homework and aliens stole my body. We played Captain Gracker and I played Tar Gibbons and like my Tar Gibbons character, literally, if you take your hands like that, go over your eyes. That's what I can see. Like <laughs> little slits. I see nothing from here down at all. Wow. I, and I, the first one I was in six inch drag queen boots, right? Seriously. Wow. And we got rid of those for the second one. Thank God. But it, it was tough. And so the makeup in Stargate, I was younger. It was new and it was fun and exciting. It was good. I never had a real problem with the Stargate makeup ever. Um, you get tired, sure, but now as I find I'm getting a little older too, I'm like, oh my god, I I gotta get this thing on again. I don't have the strength like I used to have. I don't have the endurance. 
Uh, I have to I have to chill out more and relax more during the day when I'm not filming. Whereas the other days I'd be like, whoa, hey, what are you guys doing? What's happening over here? You know, like because <laughs> I was so young and new, and you know, I'm an old. Didn't man. know any better. Hey, yeah, coach, let's go. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> LT, I just wanted to tell Alex how amazing he is and how much he inspired me when I was growing up. Oh, that's very sweet, LT. Whomever you are out there, LT, you send me a, send me a, go to my webpage or whatever, send me a message or send a message to David. I'd love to find out who you are. And I'm glad to hear that. I, you know, I get there once in a while because I taught swimming lessons for years and I taught kids, you know, and younger people and older people swimming and acting and whatnot. It's just nice to hear once in a while that, you know, you make a difference. I should have mentioned this. You asked about mentors earlier. Yes. Or Sukumar Nayar. Sukumar Nayar was my first real acting teacher in Grand Prairie Regional College in Grand Prairie back in like 1984, 85, 86. Anyhow, he was friends with uh, E.R. Braithwaite, who wrote To Sir With Love. And the scene where, like, you know, in To Sir Love, Sidney Poitier's hand gets hit with a can. Like, he mm. blocks it so the girl doesn't get hit. Um, and the kid goes, cool, look, his blood is red. That was actually happened to uh, Sukumar and E.R. And e. Braithwaite were walking together in England. Someone threw a bottle at, at, the, at him. It hit Sukumar in the head. He still has a scar to this day. Wow. And he was like, cool, look, his blood. Anyway, Sukumar is one of the most amazing acting teachers you've ever had. And he said to me, and this hit me, and here come the goosebumps. All, you're on the back of the neck. There you go. <laughs> uh, but he said, if you come to my class, and perhaps one day you don't feel like coming to my class, you may miss an experience that you will have, that you would have had, that would have changed your life forever. Send you down the path you were supposed to be on, but you did not show up to class. So if you choose not to come to my class, know this, you may miss that experience and it may never come back. And I was, oh, okay, I'm there. I will never miss a class. And I never missed a class. In, in seven years of post-secondary education, in the acting program of the three years of the acting program, I think I missed three days and one or two of them was because I was had like a 102 degree fever mm. and I was literally hallucinating in the hospital. That's yeah. That's a good excuse to not show up. Yeah. Under those circumstances, go. something, so something sending you a message. Yes. So LT again, thank you for saying that. I feel you inspired me to remember you think about my mentor, Sukumar, who inspires me to this day. He's in his mid to late eighties, still writing, writes a wow. blog. Wow. Crazy, and we've stayed in contact. My parents and his parents, they worked together at the college. My mom is the early childhood administrative assistant there, and then the head uh, receptionist. My dad, like I said, did for till he retired. He was there with um, maintenance foreman, and Sukumar was like a staple there. And then the local theater, and oh, he's, he, I love him. Anyway, going on. Well, show up for class. I mean, that's that's I I translate that to show up for life. Bingo. You know. That's what if, he was if, saying. If, if if an opportunity is presented to you, yeah, it, there there are a few sadder things than a missed opportunity, absolutely. Know, especially in hindsight, and certain things you can't get back when they're gone. No, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do this, and I mean this sincerely. Here we go. Talk about inspirations and mentors. Mrs. Parker, grade one. Mrs. Zoots, grade two. Mrs. Shelley, uh, grade three. Mrs. Duplessis, grade four. Mr. Hoffman, grade five. Mr. Atkinson, John Atkinson, grade six, who did Much Do About Nothing and all these other plays, and HMS Pinafore. Uh, Grade seven, Ms. McLean. She was amazing. Uh, Mr. Lindsay, grade seven and eight. Uh, Mr. Stan Neufeld, gym teacher. Um, Mr. Hoffman again. Uh, Mr. Otterbein for shop class. Uh, Jim Telfer, uh, again, and, and just so many others. Like, you know, I, I remember all my teachers that were good teachers, even the ones that weren't great, 
which were very few, by the way, but they inspired me to move on and do new and better things with my life too. So all those people, plus all my relatives and friends and, you know, there's just so many people out there that help inspire. Like you might do a small thing and, mm. but that's it, you know, like bingo. I, I once did this. I was lifeguarding, uh, supervising at UBC and this new fresh face lifeguard showed up and she's, I'm ready for work. And I said, okay, well, where's your stuff? What do you mean? Well, your whistle, where's your whistle? And I'll say, well, I thought we give it this were provided. I said, well, you didn't read your package because it says right in your package, bring this stuff. Bring these and I, said to her, like, I looked at her, I said, do you realize like a lifeguard going to work without the whistle is like a cop going to work without their gun. And she just, 10 years later, we're walking on the streets of Vancouver and she says, I've never forgot that, Alex. Never forgot that. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you. Because when you look, need it and you don't have it, you know, bingo. a life. What, what are right. we going to do? Correct. It wasn't very personal. Like there may be a spare whistle around here, but you know, it's... then one other lifeguard has to give up their whistle when they're off deck. And that's right. the signal for help for each other. And she's just like, oh my God, I never looked at it like that before. Yep. That's so, right. There you go. I want to go to something a little uh, lighter for uh, a moment here. Uh, where did it go? It's just on my screen. Oh, Claire wanted to know, have you been baking any more cakes? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you know what this is. Claire and Lynn, uh, they know my baking habits. Oh, my my, my fiancé, Shannon, is an amazing baker, and we were doing a lot of keto this year, and she made all these incredible keto things, and I made a keto cake for her birthday. And I made uh, this chocolate cake, and it was amazing. I have to say, but Shannon's made – Shannon has the patience to do more of that than I do. You know what I mean? So here, I'm going to show you. She, she's, she's not going to let me put her on camera, but I'm going to show you this. Here's Shannon here, just a minute. We had this – this is a – I hope you can see, see us there. I'm going to take this out. Aww. She's lovely. Yeah, there you go. And that's us snowboarding right there in our goggles. Is that a puzzle? That's a puzzle. Yeah, it was reflecting was, off the light. That's really cool. It's snowboarding, that's great. Snowboarding, and then hang on. Where's us in Hawaii? Just a minute. Hang on. Where are we at? I love Here, your blue oh, moose. Look, there we go. Oh yeah, that's her blue moose. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at the docks hunt. Yeah. That's, that's us cool. at a coffee plantation in um, Hawaii. Wow. All right. Us on our final day in Hawaii, looking at the sunset. Ah, I'm so happy for you guys. That's our sunset. Wow, beautiful. That's my dad. Can you see that hand? Uh-huh. That's my dad. And look at that. There's Henry Winkler as Fonzie. Ah, oh, it sure is. In the Wax Museum in, in LA. And I worked with Henry Winkler, weirdly enough. And my one of my first shows, he hung me in the dead man's gun. Wow. It was so cool. And then, look at this. Here's, here's my relative. This is a weird one. No, not weird. It's just, I go back 100. Can you see that in there? Uh-huh. There's a Christmas photo. That's me, my sister. That's her son on her knee, and those are my two cousins. And little the little guy on my knee would not sit still. We <laughs> took about two hundred shots. <laughs> That's the only one that was remotely that was usable. Remotely usable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, moving on. Jeez. It, Carlos Takeshi, is there any one of the characters that you've done whose story you would like to revisit more than the others? Yeah, uh, honest to God. I wouldn't mind seeing what happened to Michael. Yeah. I wanted to see a follow-up to what exactly happened to him and what were the repercussions? Like, like say Michael met your dad yeah. in the years to come. Like when the guys crossed back across the border and when they were you know, given amnesty, right? Like, what would that, what would that be like, you know, to, to meet his counterpart would have been like your father and how would they have interplayed? You know, were people like that? Like, you know, and 
I, I would I would imagine it would be like, you know, sort of, but not the same, I should say. But like, you know, like I saw a thing about World War II pilots that, you know, met like the Germans and the and the English that met after the war and they knew they were, I, listen, I was trying to shoot you down, you were trying to shoot me down. Yeah. You know, and there's that mutual respect. And I think in the end, it would have been interesting to see like a, a documentary about, or maybe it's been done with the vets meeting the guys that, that, that skipped, you know what I mean? So there is. Yeah a um one of the things that i've always wanted to i apologize this is kind of off topic but um there is a a hill i don't know if it's hamburger hill yeah in in vietnam or if it's another hill where to this day um at least before covid uh vietnam war vets go back to this place and see it for the first time uh and when they get to the top of the hill they find out that their tour guides are former Viet Congs who had oh, wow. fought on that hill. Whoa. And, you know, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about, it. you know, I, I've been to, to Pearl Harbor. And yeah, me too. the Japanese, there's a huge uh, number of Japanese tourists that go there. And we're all just in silent reverie of everything around us and all the memorials and everything else. There's something to be said for that. Sure. So it's crazy. Um, burned back us as an autograph collector. I'd like to know if and where we could order a signed photograph from you. Well, that's a good question. Um, where are they currently available? <laughs> Probably just setting it through my agent, uh, the characters. Okay. Time and Stewart at the characters. Time and Stewart. T Y M A N Stewart. Yeah. yeah. And then I'll, I'll give you the address. Here you go. One moment, please. I'll have to set something up because people keep asking about that. And I'm just so bad. See these little things that we're using, these little things and these things. <laughs> I don't do this well. I don't do it. Well, so, um, anyway, characters. They're going to love me that I you know, give this out. But uh, it's number 200, 1505 West 2nd Avenue, Vancouver, B.C. Uh, postal code is Victor, like V, 6, H is in Harry. Three Y is in Yankee or Canada. Okay. Again, number 200, 1505 West 2nd Avenue, Vancouver, BC, V6H, 3Y4. All right. I've added it to the chat. There you go. Thank you, sir, very much. I do appreciate that. Okay. And let's see here. Um, a very important question, Alex. We're about to wrap this up. Nate Cortorino, where did you get your couch? <laughs> where did we get our couch? Got it in a mall. Furniture store. Do you know what the brand is? No. Sorry. <laughs> it's actually a sectional. There's a oh, okay. There you go. It's a sectional. It's attached over here. But what I love is these things come up and down, and they get you know. Ooh, there you go. That's some posture changes. Absolutely. There you go. And then just lounging. Very cool. You know, lounging. Teresa wanted to know: Do you have any? Do you have anything from from the sets? Any props or 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 prosthetic pieces? You know, I'll be quite frank. I don't have a lot of that stuff. I still have a pair of sweatpants that I scoffed from the show. <laughs> and Shannon was like, "Yeah, yeah, I know." And actually, here's the thing: I'm using them. I'm wearing them as part of my costume, my character's costume, 
in an indie sort of thing that my buddy and I are doing was set in the future and post-apocalyptic world. So they're still there. They let me take them home because I was into my 18th hour or whatever. And, you know, I was like, they were just like, I, I they gave me something to wear. And they said, just go home. We'll get you clothes later. Mm-hmm. And then she said, don't, don't worry. Just keep them. Who cares? <laughs> so it's not like you didn't try to return them. There you no. go. Um, no, but the one thing I have that's in my bedroom that I can't go show you right now. No, that's fine. I've got a helmet from the 13th Warrior. I've got a Viking oh, helmet. Oh, that's yeah, real cool. First, first film I ever did. First real gig I ever got. And um, I, uh, I, um, what happened? I, um, oh, yes. I went in for my costume fitting and uh, they were just had made the first helmet that day. And they said, hey, do you mind if we try this on you to see what it looks like? I'm like, sure. Are you kidding? And I got one. I don't know if that's the one, but I got one exactly like it. You know, the very simple sort of just helmet like that with the little tiny metal piece over there. Just your little bowl helmet, you know, and. Wow, that's love real it. cool, man. Especially for your first big gig. You oh know? God, my, that... it was my first real gig. Yeah, absolutely. Good and for it was you. Huge. It was a hundred and thirty million dollar movie, and it was the biggest film ever shot in Canada at that point. And I got in, and I was like, "Yeah, man, right on." <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then I met you. Talk about princes, Omar Sharif, and Antonio Banderas. Oh wow, nice I've ever met in your life. Yeah, you've ever met, I've ever met in my life. Omar's passed away now, but yeah. I mean. God damn, they were good people. Just sweet, you know. And and say what you will about John McTiernan and his interesting habits or spying and hiring hiring private detectives or whatever. But he was a hell of a director. Like, really good. You know, great guy. Uh, so we always have to be thankful for the the, the lives that uh, that we crisscross, you know. And I'm, I'm thankful that you've taken the time and have come on and that we've had a chance to cross paths again. This has been really special for me. Thanks. I just want to give a shout out to everybody out there. Claire, Lynn, Tessa, and others who are watching, I know you're there. <laughs> I know we say everybody's surviving this weirdness that is COVID, and we'll get through it. Just, you know, keep, you know, steady on, little mask, keep, you know, washing the hands, et cetera. We'll get through it. Let's just have a little more patience. We're going to get there. One of the things that I'm doing with the next phase of this channel, uh, hopefully, crossing, crossing and dotting everything is... Yep. Uh, some select episode commentaries, particularly from the first three seasons of SG-1 that didn't have any. And what I would really love doing is having you back with Amber Rothwell and sitting down and doing a commentary over Zoom on 1969. That'd be great. All right. I'll reach out to her and see if she'd be game. Peace. Sounds good. That's right. (laughs) Alex, Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your family and your home and your puppers. Uh, This has been fantastic, sir. Right on. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody out there. I hope everyone's really doing well. And a big hug. This is what I always do with my family. Big hugs, hugs. (laughs) You take care of yourself, sir. I'll be in touch with you soon. Bye, David. Bye, Bye, sir. Alex Zahara, Stargate SG-1. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's wonderful to have you. We have merchandise, and I've been working on some new ones lately. Dial the Gate is brought to you every week for free, and we do appreciate you watching. But if you want to support the show further, buy yourself some of our themed swag. We're now offering t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, and hoodies for all ages in a variety of sizes and colors at Redbubble. Checkout is fast and easy, and you can even use your Amazon or PayPal account. Just visit dialthegate.redbubble.com, and thank you for your support. 
Right now on the docket for next week, we have Rachel Luttrell, who's going to be joining us. I believe, what time is she currently scheduled for? I have her uh, at uh, 12 noon on Sunday the 16th, so eight days from today. The following week, I currently have scheduled, and this is a great announcement for me. It was one of my personal heroes that I've wanted to have on uh, sit down with for a long time is, if I've got the button, Pierre Bernard. You may know him from his Recliner of Rage segment on Conan O'Brien. Pierre and I met at a, a, a convention in L.A. a couple, three years ago. Uh, when we had a Stargate exhibit set up, and you know, I ha- had a chance to uh, uh, confess my love for this man. He got to do what so many of us fans would always love to have loved to have had, which was a a cameo on uh, the show. We're going to talk about his experience on Conan, um, how this whole opportunity came about, where he said his piece on the Recliner of Rage regarding Daniel Jackson, <laughs> for better or for worse. And uh, the the controversy and fandom surrounding that and just getting to be a part of Stargate history, particularly with the 200th episode. So Pierre is going to be joining us on the 23rd of May. A few other announcements coming really soon. I got a big uh, uh, green light for the show confirmed just a couple of days ago. Something really, really big has 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 happened um it's not like we're getting we're getting richard dean anderson or anything like that i i unfortunately not nothing that big um but this should be a this should be a a pretty reasonable nitro boost for the show and it's going to be something that i've always wanted to do it has to do with with uh, bringing multiple people in multiple cast members for a panel i will say that and you know summer is fast approaching, so I will say that. So those pieces are going to start sliding into uh, into place here fairly soon. I can't really say any more. In fact, I probably said too much. But some big stuff is coming, so I will leave it at that. My moderating team: Summer, Tracy, Keith, Jeremy, Reese, Anthony. You guys are um, fantastic, and we we I couldn't make the show work without without all of you. With the help of Linda Gate Gabber Fury, who's always keeping me on my toes, and Jennifer Kirby, who's always standing by to to uh, assist, uh, you guys are great. I really appreciate your time. Uh, if you like this episode, please consider hitting that that like button. It really does boost um, YouTube's um, sharing of this file and other uh, other similar content in Dial the Gate. Uh, we've been on the air now for seven months. And, you know, we've passed 10,000 subscribers, so I'm interesting to, interested to see where that, uh, where that growth goes next. And there's going to be a lot, lot coming uh, later this year, which will help to fuel that. That's all I've got for you. I think we're all squared away until, until next weekend. Uh, the uh, concept arts episode, which was supposed to be done for today for SG-1, 2, and 3. I'm going to have to reschedule that later to this month. Uh, but it will be done. Just had some family things I had to take care of. Everything's fine. Uh, but that's where we're at. Thanks again to Alex Zahara for a wonderful afternoon. Uh, my name is David Reed. You're watching Dial the Gate. We'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. 
The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith Homel, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo designed by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes, at dialthegate.com. <laughs>